All right. Good morning, church. Uh, glad that you're uh, tuning in with us. Uh, it is super exciting uh, to be back here in this building. Uh, and we're not alone. Uh, this building has been waiting for us. We've got uh, Josiah over there on one of the cameras, and John's running sound. Uh, Josh Valdez was doing some painting here. He's, he's here in the crowd. Uh, Sandy's here. My boys are out in the lobby. Miranda's up on uh, slides, and Naomi's doing switching. And let's see, Max is up there. Kyle Sheridan's up there. So uh, we actually have quite a few people here and cannot wait until there's more of you uh, here in these seats, even though it's great to finally be able to to sing for, what, 12 weeks now uh, doing the live stream in our house because of the microphones. It picks up even the slightest bit of sound, so Alex gave me very strict instructions not to sing because it would go through the live feed, uh, and so I had to just mouth all the words, and so today has been just so fun just to be able to sing, and I cannot wait until you're here. Uh, we'll be phasing out uh, some information to you uh, as it comes. We're really waiting on the uh, governor to give us a little bit more more insight to the restrictions, and so we don't want to jump the gun. We're in no hurry. Uh, we're doing a lot of work here at the church, and we just want to do it right, uh, and so those things will be coming. So thank you to all of you that are making this happen uh, today. Uh, we've been in a series uh, perfectly timed and perfectly titled Hope in the Midst of Chaos. If you're just joining us for the first time, maybe a family member or friend invited you to join us. We've been kind of walking through the, the New Testament book, really towards the end of the New Testament, called First Peter. And uh, this was planned well over a year ago, and it just so happens that each and every one of the topics that's covered in First Peter is just so perfect for us. And today uh, is no different. Last week, we covered a pretty significant portion of what it means to live under the authority of the governing uh, structure around us. Um, and I know for some of you, that was a pretty difficult message to hear. Uh, it was probably even more of a difficult message even later on of what are the implications of that. And I want to assure you, it was uh, equally a difficult message for me to share. But I really do think, isn't that the nature of the Scriptures, that uh, we're called to such great things in this book, and yet... It costs us everything. And so uh, we ought not open up the pages of the scriptures and think it's going to be nothing but showering kindness and love on us and acceptance. There are going to be some challenging uh, books. There's going to be some challenging sermons and messages all throughout it. But the theme of it is that God is in control and he knows what he's doing. So I just want to encourage you, um, and I've been praying for you, keep struggling through the scriptures, keep wrestling with that, join a life group, be involved in what it means to kind of walk through some of these uh, different and difficult um, subjects, because that's really what we do as Christians in our pursuit of Jesus as our ultimate truth, especially as it pertains to culture and uh, politics, and really the, the whole doctrine of submission. And so um, I've been studying uh, theologians and commentators and authors 
uh, for the past several weeks uh, leading up to this morning's message uh, and last week's. All, in the, uh, pro, all of them approach this topic of submission with really a common heart. Uh, in fact, it's, it's pretty much an outlier if it doesn't fall into one of these categories because each one of these men and women who write on these topics approach it uh, with a struggle, with, with an honest, honest struggle, but also gentleness and love, loving and kindness as we deal with this topic in a desire to learn. But none of those things remove how difficult it is. Um, but I just want to remind you, God is God. Uh, he always will be. He's very, very good, always and forever. And a closer examination of our text this morning is going to reveal that uh, our passage is no different. So uh, this morning's passage brings us to yet another particular example of submission that was quite common to the first century church. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of First Peter. If you're new to church and the Bible and all that, so glad that you're joining us. If you take your Bible and start heading to the right, uh, to the latter part of the entire book of the Bible, uh, it's in the last several books there. Uh, if you did didn't get it, you can hit pause on YouTube and run and grab that. And then once you get it, join us back. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, this morning. It will be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. We're trying to get into a little bit of a, a new norm in regards to our vernacular that we use. So what I want to say is if you're here present, it's going to be on the screen. Um, if you're watching us live at home, that will also be on the screen. And so you can feel free to follow along at your leisure. Here's what it says coming out of the New Living Translation. Verse 18, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. I want you to, if you're into underlining and highlighting your Bible, I want you to uh, underline and highlight conscious of his will because we're going to come back to that. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor did he deceive anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. This is another good phrase to underline. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who have wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. That is the word of the Lord for us this morning as we begin to unpack let me begin by saying, let me identify the elephant in the living room. We're talking about slavery. And I just want to ask you this morning to take a deep breath, shake out your hands, wipe them on your pants, sit back and, and approach this topic with an open mind, allowing God to bring wisdom and understanding to his scriptures. Because this is a difficult section of scripture. There's no way around it. 
And so that's my ask of you. Just sit back, relax, take notes, listen, and let's see where this might take us. Peter writes to the church in which the first century church So think about the church, not Rock Creek, not Ascend, not Flatirons. It would be all of us. So think about all the churches in the first century, specifically in this place where Peter is writing in the northern area of Asia Minor. All of these churches predominantly, those individuals who comprise the church are mostly slave or servants. They are the ones that are receiving this. And Peter uses the word servant, which is the word doulos. That is the original word, doulos, which is the most common and most widespread word. In other words, if you wanted to somehow encapsulate slave or certain servant, you would use doulos. And that's what Paul does, this word for slave. In the Roman world, and in the time of when Peter is writing this epistle, There is approximately, get this, 60 million slaves. 60 million slaves that would be receiving or hearing about such a a letter. Now, what's interesting about this is a slave was not just designated to menial tasks that were done day to day, hour by hour. It wasn't that way. What's interesting to note is that under the umbrella of slave also existed doctors, teachers, musicians, actors, secretaries, all were considered under the grouping of slave. In other words, the supply of a slave was never going to dry up because anybody who worked throughout the Roman Empire that was not part of the empire was considered a slave, was considered a worker. Now, a 21st century world, and very rightfully so, screams in horror at the abject violation of basic human rights in terms of slavery. To some of you, as you read Peter's words, It's downright offensive. It makes your blood boil. For some, it makes you even question God. And I acknowledge that. I too have questioned this. What's interesting as we continue to dig into is that it's important to note that the institution of slavery in Peter's day was significantly different than the disgusting Uh, racial idea of slavery that we know of from our country's past. And even more modern today, uh, it is different than the demonic underworld of sex slavery that we face today. It's different than that. Slavery, though, and this is important, even though it was different, it was just as dangerous and deadly, especially in the first century church, if the master did not like the fact that a newfound Christian who found faith experienced what they deemed to be freedom. And so we're going to unpack what is freedom, what is slavery, what is submission, all of this this morning. We're going to unpack this. While certainly not free, slaves of the ancient world would be regarded as one of the social class. 
not even the bottom of the social class, but it would be considered one of the social class. Historians believe that the total number of slaves was upwards to 25 to 40 percent of the entire population. So we're talking an enormous amount of people that are reading this, receiving guidance. Prior to the time of Peter, uh, the Romans acquired most of their slaves through the spoils of war. This instead of death. Many were given a choice, either become a slave, become an indentured servant to the empire, or be put to death. Children of slaves automatically became slaves. Abandoned children could be brought up as slaves. People might sell their children or even themselves into slavery on purpose, on their own volition to fulfill debts or various obligations. And as such, slavery in the Roman world was based more on social, economic, and political status than it was on race or ethnicity. And this, what I just described to you, is the situation to which Christianity comes on the scene. This is how Peter addresses the foundation of this horrible word called slavery. And with its message, a message that every single person has been created in the image of God and therefore is precious in his sight. It is extremely counterculture. The result was before we even get into the world within the church, social barriers were broken down. People were united as one. All of a sudden, everybody was on the same playing field. And as a result, some quote-unquote slaves thought that their newfound faith in turn excused them uh, from their external circumstances or the authority, and they would skirt responsibility or work, or discipline. In other words, the freedom that they found in Christ, they thought should change the culture in which they live in. And Peter, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, saw it differently. Throughout history, some Christians have interpreted the freedom that they have in Christ as a green light for political and social freedom from authority and oppression. And that's just not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, during Martin Luther's time, and while he taught on the freedom of the Christian, that was a, a significant part of what Martin Luther pushed. During that time of the freedom of a Christian from the bondage of the hands of the Catholic Church, breaking away from obtaining uh, hope, obtaining freedom, obtaining forgiveness, and Martin Luther broke that away, there were some extreme peasants that took up arms against German lords who ruled over them and didn't end very well. And I believe it wasn't God's desire for them to do so. Today, advocates of liberation theology interpret the message of the cross in socialistic and communistic ways. Hear my words on this. They push for the overflow of social systems and for economic equality for all. In other words, a spirit of expectation and entitlement based on faith. But dig further into what the disciples had to say. 
The apostles and the early church leaders knew that the danger for pushing social change and political upheaval apart from true conversion of the heart through Jesus Christ, through the heart and the mind within society, it was true that the gospel of Jesus Christ, where it penetrates the heart, changes and diminishes and defeats evil, poverty, slavery, oppression are radically diminished. But listen, these social changes are the result, not the goal of God's ultimate priority, which according to the scriptures is transforming the hearts and the minds. That's what God's focused on. The change of hearts and policy and culture, Lord willing, come after that. I want to turn your attention to the book of Romans. Uh, Go to the left a little bit. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1 and 2. It'll be on the screen and also in your living rooms. Here's what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Don't do what they do. Don't follow the crowd. But let God transform you into what? Into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I say this all the time. I need God's understanding I need God's perspective because I can't trust me. I'm a new creation, but the Bible says God's still at work in me, which means there's still flaws. I'm still tainted. Until I take my last breath or Jesus comes again, I can't fully trust what's in here or up here. So I have to submit and view and see things and have my heart and my mind transformed. And that's what Peter is calling us to. Because knowing the human gut reaction, what is the gut reaction? It's to rebel against unfair treatment. Peter urges Christians not to do that, but to what? Submit to their masters even those who are rough and unreasonable. Now, I want to admit again, this is hard to bear. There's no part of this that you read and go, I got it, I'm going to go apply it. If you're like me, you read it and go, I still have a hard time with this. Well, let's keep studying and maybe this will help. Peter's exhortation to submission makes sense when we connect it to our calling to shine his example, his reflection of Christ in a dark and godless culture. And for you and I, for those of us who are in this room, 
That's where we live. We may not call it evil. We may not call it oppressive. We might not even call it dangerous. But it's dark and godless. And so is it our job to change culture? Is it our job to protest culture? Or are our efforts better used to reflect Christ, His character, His morals, and His story? Peter makes this point clear when he brings it back to Christ's own unjust suffering in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Here's what it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. We join Him. I don't know fully how, but the Bible says we join Him. We join in His work. We join in how He changes people, how He changes culture. And when we suffer unjustly at the hands of a cruel dictator or a very unfair and overbearing boss in your workplace, we participate in Christ's own ministry of unjust suffering on behalf of others. I want to say something, and I want you to write it down. It's going to be on the screen. Christ suffered on behalf of us. That much we know to be true. Christ suffered on behalf of us. We suffer on behalf of unbelievers who need to see the gospel lived out in our everyday lives. See, it's not our answers. It's not our apologetics. It's not being right in, in a, a campfire, fire pit discussion or over a beer or a cup of coffee. It's not about being right. It's about reflecting Him. It's about allowing others to see the gospel lived out in our everyday lives. Why? Because somebody can relate to us, and His name's Jesus. Nobody on the face of the planet and no one ever since and, and no one that is to come has ever or will suffer as unjustly as Jesus Christ. The only perfect man who ever lived was severely misunderstood by the crowd. His charges were rigged by his enemies. He was forsaken by his family, betrayed by his friends, abandoned by his disciples, and yes, tortured by modern-day law enforcement officers and executed by politicians. If you've watched the news, you know that there's a whole lot more going on in our country than COVID. There's injustice. There's oppression. Especially for the black man, woman, and child. And it's not right. It's not even close to being right. But notice, here's the rub. When we go back to Jesus, the only one in history with ever a reason to file a lawsuit for an injustice, he remained silent. 
the only man who could have called on God to judge his enemies and rain down fire, quietly endured undeserved judgment. We see that in verse 23. And this is extremely important. He did all this not for himself, but for us, for you and me. That's from verse 24. You see, dying in our place on the cross just for the unjust, he healed our souls so that we can live a, a, a new life of righteousness, both now and forever. Peter calls his readers and all of us to submit willingly to those who are in authority, even if they behave unjustly. But hear this, and this goes back to what we're dealing with in today's culture. And just for the record, if you're tuning in, we make it a rule never to talk politics from this stage because this ought to be for the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord only. But we do speak out in terms of morality and the protection of life. We don't tie it to a politician. We don't tie it to a political party. But when we do see things that run counterculture to what God longs for in his creation, we speak. So hear this. God doesn't make this call for us to remain silent just so that we can have peace or uphold a cultural system. Newsflash, God isn't interested in our peace. He's interested in his peace. He's not interested in the peace of the United States or even Colorado or even Rock Creek Church. He's interested in the kingdom of God's peace. He points us to Jesus Christ as the perfect example because Christ entrusted himself to who? He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously and could therefore endure injustice with hope because he knew who ultimately was the judge. And similarly, we can entrust our lives to Jesus and to the guardian of our souls, verse 25. That guardian is also shepherd. A shepherd will lay down his life. That guardian, Jesus, will lay down his life. In fact, he did. And in short, as exiles living in a foreign land, in Boulder or Westminster or Arvada or Lafayette or Superior or Louisville or Erie, and the list goes on and on and on of different cities that make up Rock Creek Church home, we are living in a foreign land that's not our ultimate home. And by following the example of Jesus Christ, we can en ensure an unshakable faith and hope in the midst of chaos. I don't know about you, but there's never been a time in my life that I've ever turned on the news and there's not a better description than chaos. <laughs> I have images of the rioting going on in Minnesota. Chaos. Deep hurts and pains. Tears, screaming, when is enough enough? And Jesus is that hope in the midst of chaos. Peter's message to that first century church can actually feel like a punch in the stomach. 
But it's important to note that if we submit to those in authority above us, and here's where this passage uh, comes alive. Let me point you back um, to this point. Uh, Enduring it patiently, doing as God has called you to. If you are, while trying to honor the lordship of God, then such submission, even in times of harshness and cruelty, is commendable. but only if it's under the umbrella of seeking God, living for God, following Jesus. That's when it's commendable. In the mid-A.D. 60s, Peter and Paul, Peter, one of our authors, were put to death in Rome at the edict of the present emperor Nero. Talked about him last week. You can go watch last week's message. A disgusting, demonic, horrible person who killed for entertainment. Peter was sentenced to die by crucifixion. And Peter willingly submitted to that authority and that punishment, but he made one plea. He asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think himself worthy to be killed in the same manner of his Savior. You see, a long time uh, had passed before it really hit Peter the extent to which his Lord and Savior went to the cross and died, submitted to the authority for a greater gain. And according to Peter and Paul, the ultimate death and the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate submission. Many Christians will mistakenly feel that passages like 1 Peter 2 derail Christian opposition to social injustice and leave the oppressed as a silent sufferer. And I do not believe that's what the Scriptures are saying. Certainly in many parts of the world, Christians, as a community, we're not living in exile, in other words, not having a home and not having a say in the world around us. We're not being dictated by others. In fact, many of us, we're responsible for the conditions at which we live. This is kind of talking about us, Uh, uh, having a voice for the voiceless using our platform for good, but doing it in a way that's respectable and honoring to the king. I want to make this really clear, especially on the heels of last week's sermon. There are times when Christians are not to copy the silent Christ by not responding to speech and action designed to hurt others. I hope you heard me on that. There are times when we are not to copy Christ's behavior to just be quiet. We have to be careful with those. But there is a time. Because as Christ followers, we carry his morals. There was only one Son of God that could die on the cross. There was only one who could approach his slaughter silent before the shears. 
we are the church. We are his hands and feet. We are his voice. So there is a time and a place to carry his moral. And I say this with great intention, but very carefully and gently. We must, as followers of Jesus Christ, oppose unjust actions and words, especially when our silence might imply approval of such destructive behavior. We must not remain silent. But that does not mean that we don't honor and respect those in authority. We don't throw burning cocktails. We don't destroy people on social media. We don't talk bad about them at the water cooler. We don't get into a political tirade at life groups. We don't post funny jokes and insulting behavior. But we do speak out. But we speak out in a way that brings honor and glory to the King and a voice for the voiceless. A voice for someone like George Floyd who should never have been killed. And I know as a former police officer there's a lot of investigation that'll happen. There's more details that will come out about that young man's past and history. But he is yet another example of those individuals who are living in this world that have color on their skin, are oppressed and victimized on a regular basis. And the church should view it as a moral issue not to remain silent, to speak up, to join causes that are filled with peace, but join causes nevertheless to fight for others. But we do so with respect and honor. So let me be clear about that. There's a time to speak and act. But we also know that there are times that we should walk away rather than respond to the violence directed against us or those without a voice. There is a time to walk away and remain silent. Christ followers must raise challenges to the assumption that self-interest of the human being, self-interest of the American comes first. That is not in the scripture. In fact, the scriptures say the direct opposite. Think of the interest of others before yourself. Nowhere does it say think of your self-interest and what you believe and what you think and what you feel first. But consider others better than yourselves. But sometimes, if you're like me, just being honest, sometimes if you're like me, those pains are too close to home. I and probably you get too emotionally charged. It takes a, a mature man and woman and child to recognize when they are too emotionally charged. And you know what part of God's answer is to that? 
a church, community, other believers that'll walk with you as you struggle, other believers that'll have that same pain and struggle and tears. It's why we do what we do. It's who you are. I've read the end of this story. I don't know if you have. I've read to the end of the story, and let me tell you, culture, living as Christians, being Christ followers in culture, the end of the story says it's going to get harder. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. It's going to get harder. The demands to step up and live as an accurate representation, the Bible says, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, is going to get more difficult. Are you up for the challenge? Are you up to live counterculture to those around us? In a way that still speaks truth and fact into the cultural existence of today, but also holds our doctrines and theology and truths as something that's unshakable and will not break. Are you up for that challenge? Our context to live this out is today this morning. Our context is tomorrow and the day after and the week after at work. Our context is our employers, the people we work with, those who are in authority over us, the president, the vice president, our governors, our mayors, our city workers, our law enforcement officers, all the way down. We submit to our modern-day, quote, masters, not by force, but by choice. Because remember, Jesus, he wasn't forced to die on a cross. Nobody killed Jesus. He surrendered. He submitted willingly. He went to the cross on his own accord at the instruction of his father. And he would do it again for you. And tomorrow he would do it again for you. And the next day, and the next day, knowing everything there is to know about you. Why? Because he loves you. He's crazy about you. And nothing you could ever do will ever change that fact. Commentator William Barclay sums it up like this, and I think it's just a good way to end. He's a commentator, and he wrote on 1 Peter, he says this, and it may be that when the Christian suffers insult and injury without complaining and unfailing love and devotion to Christ, he or she sets such an example and shows such a life to others that that example and that life will lead others to God. May that happen in your life and in mine. Let's pray together. God, self-admittingly, there's parts in Scripture that are really hard. I just want to acknowledge in my own heart, you are God and I am not. You have perfect, ultimate understanding. I am so limited and flawed. And I trust you. 
I trust you when you say submit to those who are in authority over you, that it reflects you and your character and your heart and your morals, that that is true. I trust that as we as a church do that, especially as we think about getting back together in this room, in this building with COVID and uh, about to receive the restrictions from the governor and, and being respectful and honoring to those things, even though everything within us wants to just throw caution to the wind and get together, we will honor and respect those in authority over us. Yes, to be wise and to be safe, but also to give a good representation of you, our King and Lord Jesus. So thank you that you continue to address things in Scripture that are both relevant to today, they're, they're relevant in our own lives and in our own hearts, and we continue to submit to you, our ultimate authority. King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of all creation, ultimate majesty. To you we surrender. It's in Christ's name that, that we have come, that we've gathered, that we've worshiped, we've studied and read the scriptures. To you be the glory.